Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting Network. Okay, so we're back. Pretty exciting. I haven't done this since you met. It's the longest break I've ever had in my career. Um, so today what we're going to do is introduce everything. Some general stuff about psychology and how it's... Um, we're doing it all wrong. <laughs> um, then we'll get specifically into some animal behavior type questions. Um, but like I said, first we'll just talk about... First of all, uh, when it was called evolutionary approaches to behavior, it made it sound like we're going to talk a lot about people. We will mention humans now and then. Uh, we're animals, I uh, The other reason is, of course, is an evolutionary psychology course that will shortly be on the books. Um, but still, we're going to talk about animal behavior from an evolutionary perspective because we claim to have to. You can't ignore it. So... The question you can then ask is, why study psychology in general from an evolutionary perspective? And as I said here, we're, well, we are actually animals. <laughs> um, we're pretty cool animals. There's a lot of cool stuff we can do. There's stuff we can do that other animals can't do. There's stuff that other animals can't do that we can't do. So, even if we were just studying people, and if you took the special topics evolutionary psych course with me last year, you know this, it, and that course is almost completely about humans. If even when we're studying people, if we're studying personality, so, uh, social psychology, developmental psychology, any of these things, we still have to take an evolutionary approach into account, which is becoming much more common. Um, Darwin, Charles Darwin, remember him? He was important. One of the great thinkers ever. And Darwin spoke of an evolutionary psychology in Descent of Man, not in Origins. And Darwin talked about it when he talked about how our behavior and our thinking must be also subject to selective pressures. Okay, so while that's been an appeal to authority, it does make quite a bit of sense. Then we can say William James took a very functional attitude about psychology. Um, those of you who here has taken the history of psych? Okay, so it's one of you. So functionalism was an, uh, a school of thought in psychology back uh, in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And this idea was, let's look at what behavior accomplishes and what thinking accomplishes. And a lot of what, in fact, all pretty much, of what evolution is about is about what does something accomplish, right? Because it's all about outcomes. If something is successful, it ends up being passed on, etc. So functionalism, uh, William James was very into this, and as you probably know, William James was the first American PhD in psychology. Uh, he was also, yeah, that's not true, he had a philosophy PhD. Uh, William James was the first big-time American psychologist, let's say that. He wrote the first psychology textbook in English, called Principles of Psychology. And actually, um, 
I would urge you to read that book. It's fun. It's a fun textbook to read. First of all, because James is inventing psychology out of whole cloth. It's 1890 when he publishes this book. 1879 is when psychology starts, right? Wilhelm Wundt. So, 11 years later, a guy writes a textbook. And he basically cites Wundt and Ebbinghaus a lot, because that was about it. But he also comes up with all kinds of great ideas. Certain, expressions of extreme consciousness. That's, that's James. The idea of primary and secondary memory. If you took memory, and I know a lot of you did with me last year, primary and secondary memory, and it's you know, short-term and long-term. He recognized that a lot of what we did, we weren't aware of, weren't, quote, consciously aware of. <laughs> and the functionalists look at, looked at a lot of this sort of unconscious behavior and said, what does it accomplish? What does it accomplish? Stuff we're not even aware that we do. Right? So even James, and again, it's a bit of an appeal to authority, I'll grant you that. Okay, it's not a bit, it's completely an appeal to authority. But it's a pretty good authority. Because we have the guy that started, that discovered evolution, and the guy that really brought psychology to the English-speaking world. Um, we tend to think of psychology as a social science. Even though in our school, happily, we're members of the science division. I have no problem with the social science division that I'm willing to say on the internet. But... You know, a social science. I, I don't know what that means, you know, honestly, and I will talk about that in a sec. But most psychologists, if most of them out there, I don't think in our department we're like this. In fact, I would say that we're actually peace loving, free thinking, right thinking people. <laughs> but most of you got a little joke there. Um, or old Soviet propaganda. Peace loving, free thinking peoples of the world agree. psychologists adapt what, what Steve Pinker has called the standard social science model. Uh, Steve Pinker, big time evolutionary psychologist, uh, psycholinguist. Canadian, by the way. Also has been on John Stewart. A number of times has Johnny here. The standard social science model is well, we'll get into what it is, but it's the notion really that Biology is relevant. Let's, let's say that. Let's go with that. Um, and this, of course, is going to affect research uh, theories, uh, hypotheses, how you design experiments, how you explain results. The idea that biology is irrelevant is clearly at odds with evolutionary theory. And see, we're talking about the point I'm trying to make here is that psychology is a life science. Right? I think, in fact, we're part, I like to consider us, I consider psychology to be a subdomain of biology, just, just like botany is, just like uh, genetics is, just like zoology is, just like population, uh, whatever, I don't know, population biology, like uh, molecular genetics, all these things, they're just subdomains of biology. I think, I think psychology is too. Now, I don't know if everyone else holds uh, that view, because um, it's a, a strong view, but um, it's, it's one that I hold. And if we're studying living things, which we are, and it could be people, it could be animals, and we know that evolution is important for living things, we probably should take biology into account. So, as I said here, it's almost completely odds with evolutionary theory and, in fact, reality. 
So the, the standard social science model has a few assumptions. Uh, one of them is the blank slate. And in fact, Steve Pinker wrote a really nice book called The Blank Slate uh, and the Denial of Human... I think the subtitle is Denial of Human Nature. I think that's The Blank Slate. It's a really fun read. It's a popular science book. It's, it's, it's really well done. Um, excellent book. The idea of The Blank Slate is that... The idea of the tabula rasa, right? The idea that experience writes on the mind, and that's where we are, everything about our behavior comes from. This is the idea of give me the boy and I will give you the man. This is the idea that anyone can become president. Right? The great American dream, right? This is the idea that if you just work hard enough and study hard enough, everyone can get 100. Now, it's a nice myth. We all like that. It really sounds nice that if you work hard enough and you study hard enough, you can become the president of the United States. It's nice. It's not, we all know it's silly. And you say, yeah, Barack Obama worked really hard and he grew up poor. Yeah, and I don't think he was stupid. Bill Clinton grew up poor. Yeah, and I don't think he was stupid. George Bush grew up rich. I'm not going to say he was stupid. I just don't think he was curious. I think that was sort of his problem. I think we all see that it's kind of silly. We know that there are people, we know among ourselves, that there are things that we, no matter how hard we try, we can't really do them very well. Everybody has something that they can't do very well. Right? This then says that biology is irrelevant because if experience is all that matters, then biology has no effect whatsoever. Or a very tiny effect, such that you know you need food, you need water, you need air. And finally, that there must only be a few learning mechanisms. These two are kind of obvious. This one's a little more subtle. Um, the idea that there are only a few learning mechanisms, <clears throat> well, if everybody is equal, and I don't mean equal rights or equal all that stuff, that's not, this isn't political, as much as I just mentioned politics. This isn't political. What this means is that if everybody and every animal, because if you take a look at B.F. Skinner, he thought that he could teach pigeons how to, how to communicate using language. He thought we learn language through stimulus-response connections, just like a pigeon did, and he could teach pigeons to talk back and forth to each other by pecking keys that said hello, and the other one said, how are you? You can do that. You give me a pigeon and a Skinner box, I can get to do almost anything. That doesn't mean the pigeon is really using language. There must only then be a few learning mechanisms because if everything and everyone is equal, it has this what's called equal potentiality. Equal potentiality. That just means that anything can learn anything. That people can learn anything. That rats can learn anything. There must then be only a few learning mechanisms because everything's done with experience. It must just be stimulus response. There may be our two again, instrumental conditioning and classical conditioning. That would be it. Does that make sense? I'm not saying it makes sense. It probably sounds silly, but does the idea, the understanding the idea? I hope it sounds silly anyway. 
Now, why is this completely and utterly wrong? As I said, I don't think you'd find anybody in our department, even, even Paul in his, in his sort of fuzzy, touchy-feely human psychology. I don't want to make fun of me, but I make fun of him on the internet, and that's how I get a lot more effective. Um, I think even Paul would say that development needs biology. I know he'd say that. Paul's not an idiot. He's a little slow, but he's not an idiot. Again, I'm kidding. Paul's a friend of mine. The guy I really don't like is Dwayne. Again, I'm kidding. Notice I don't make fun of Cheryl or Lori. You know why? They scare me. Um, so the feeling that if we had women versus men in a fight in our department, put your money on the ladies. I'm just saying. And I'm not saying because we just not fight. They could just kick our asses. And really... Unless it was video games. And I think, then again, we have Kia on our team, and he is not a very good video game um, But I digress. <laughs> As I tend to do. Um, development needs biology because, you know, you can't really, you can't just have a baby with a, a genetic code. <laughs> it's, it's not going to turn into a human adult. Right? So when you hear language, you learn language as a kid. Um, and this can be hearing, and I don't necessarily have to hear it, it can be American Sign Language or whatever sign language you learn. You learn that as your mother tongue. Right? And you probably know this, that kids that learn sign language as their mother tongue because they're deaf, or because their parents are deaf, and the parents teach them sign language to communicate with their kid. Um, when you take a look at that kid in an MRI, and take a look at their what part of their brain lights up when they're, when they're signing, it's the same part of their brain that lights up when you and I are speaking. Our mother tongue. Right? Language is something special. This input goes in. And no matter how many hockey statistics I flash at you by the time you're very small, you will not become an expert in hockey statistics. We're prepared to learn language. We're not prepared to learn hockey statistics. Right? So no matter how many times I told both my kids... Rocket Richard scored 544 goals in his career. I told, I told him this constantly. One of the first things my daughter heard when she was born was about what our favorite hockey team was. First thing I said to him was, hello, my name's Dave, I'm your father. I prefer dad or daddy. You can go with Dave if you'd like. Welcome to Earth. <laughs> Say something like that. I said, welcome to Earth. <laughs> You're a girl, don't ever let anybody tell you you can't do something because you're a girl. And I said, our prime minister right now is a girl. Not for long, but that's not because she's a girl. Kim Campbell, you remember Kim Campbell? She's probably for 45 minutes in 1993. <laughs> and then I said, um, our favorite hockey team is the Montreal Canadiens. And now they're going to put you under a heat lamp, which is a lot like what they do with hamburgers at McDonald's. You don't make no McDonald's as yet, but you will and you'll like it because you're a kid. Now, she didn't understand me, but I did tell her all these things that I thought were kind of neat things to tell her. <laughs> no damn thing I was saying, but I did tell her all kinds of stuff about hockey. I sat there, now I will say the second sentence my daughter ever said was, Look, Dad, it's Sacco Koivu. We're watching the Canadians game. We still have Canadians. That was kind of cool. I 
sat there with her. She'd sit on my lap. We'd watch hockey games. We would watch Formula One races. She hates sports. <laughs> but she can speak two languages because she heard English and French as a kid. And they just, it just happened. Right? So one day my parents' dog learned to speak English because my, their mom's dog's a dog. And that dog, my, my folks got that dog back when I was a couple of weeks old. Jack Russell Terrier, have you seen these things? It's basically if you take caffeine and you put it in a little thing of muscle and then you pour sugar on it and then you let it go. My dad claimed that the dog could understand like 700 words. My dad was nuts. She couldn't learn to speak English because she's a freaking dog. Why can't you remember where 30,000 things, seeds are that you hid six months ago? Because you're not a Clark's Nutcracker. Right? You, you, you can't. Now, there's something that humans can do. We can write it down. But let's say you do it with a GPS, a pen, a in a full, by the way, in a 40 kilometer radius. So we're going from here in a circle down to like, say, as far as say, uh, St. Joseph's Island, all the way around in a circle. I want you to hide 30,000 things and I want you to fight total 25,000 of them in six months. By the way, the rest of that time during that, you're fighting to survive because you're a clerk's nutcracker. You can't do it. So what I'm saying is there's such a thing as human nature, just like there's such a thing as parts, not dragon nature or dog nature. So I think, I hope, that these arguments have told you that we have to look at all of psychology from an evolutionary angle, not just, not just animal behavior, but all animal behavior and more animals. Make sense so far? Any questions or comments or anything? Really? Okay. Now, you've also probably heard me talk about nature versus nurture. Um, the standard social science model um, <coughs> divides nature and nurture, basically, into two separate things. Because it says that nurture is more important than nature. Right? Because if you say that the most important thing is the environment you're in, it must therefore be the case that you're dividing nature and nurture into two things. At least two, but that's what we do. Right? Because if I say that any man can be present, let's just say that any man, interesting choice of words, though a few years ago we would have said any white man and they got black and man, so what the hell? I think Hillary Clinton would have been a fine president. Part of the reason I didn't want her to win is totally just that I don't want all their presidents to be in Clinton or Bush. <laughs> you know? Because that means, you know, in a few years there'll be one of those crazy drunk girls, she's going to be president. Clinton, I think, is smart enough. Anyway, um, American politics fascinates me because they're always having elections every day. You know, we're going to have an election in Canada, what, 2015, right? Um, when do we start talking about it? Oh, sometime in 2015, right? We even know when the election is in Ontario. There's a law. It'll be in, like, maybe it'll be in October, right? Those campaigns are kind of going now. In the States, it's already running negative ads, right? It's a little weird. Anyway, it's a weird one. <coughs> so, if we're dividing the nature and nurture, it's kind of silly. You can't have one without the other. And think about 
this, I'm not just talking about the environment you grow up in, you know, your home and your friends. I'm talking about even hormonal environments. Those are environments. I'm talking about when you're in your mother's womb, that's an environment. Yeah, yeah please. How can something call itself a science and discount so much? Well, and that's something I'll get to. I mean, it's in fact silly. And I, I will say that I think a lot of people that do what we would call social science wouldn't call it a science either. I think people that study, I think if we went and talked to Dr. Myers, the university president who studies political science, right? If we asked, if, if Rick was here and he said political science is science, I got a feeling Rick would kind of laugh. I think that's something Don Jackson, and I think the whole, and the approach that I have the whole department, but I don't know we call it political science. <coughs> I don't know what sociology would say. Um, I have a lot of experience with those guys, but I got a feeling they probably would say it's not really a science either, but I mean, wrong with that. It's just a title. It's a title, you know. Uh, and that's something that bugs me because psychology gets lumped in with stuff that I don't think calls itself a science. I will say that I'm sure, I know there is scientific stuff done in politics, polling and predictions. There is scientific stuff done clearly in sociology. I've got a friend, uh, Ivan, that does stuff like that for sure back in Newfoundland. Um, so I'm not saying that all social science isn't science, but... Yeah, I think you're making the point. It's also it's an artificial divide between things that we think of as real science, <laughs> right? So this is what I, what, what I, I call, or not just me, I didn't invent this term, the interaction principle. You can't have biology, uh, biology without an environment, okay? You can't have an environment without biology. In fact, biology is creating your environment, your environment is creating your biology. And then you can get this, obviously, with when you think about it, for example, well, think about it, if, if your mom... When your mom was pregnant, because you guys were young enough that your mom knew not to drink and not to smoke. She knew that even if she drank a lot, smoked a lot, she'd be like, uh, I'm not going to do that, because that's right. My mom didn't know that. She didn't smoke, though. Dad smoked like three packs a day, so mom was like just sucking in, you know, everywhere. Um, people have the odd drink. And by the way, if you see a pregnant woman having a drink, don't get mad at her. Let her have a damn drink. One drink ain't going to kill a kid. And you're going to give a fetal alcohol syndrome. Don't look at her like, I can't believe you're doing that. You're worse than Hitler. I, and that really bugs me. When you see a pregnant woman doing, you know, doing shotguns and funnels, yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> but, you know, a beer, a glass of wine, give her a break. Anyway, it's a pet peeve of mine. I, I get to say, I've seen a pregnant woman and lived with her like over two kids, and I think it, I think it's difficult. This is this is the impression I'm getting. Oh, you just you're glowing. Um, <laughs> we're amazing. Um, but even then, you know not to do your mom knew not to do that. But of course, also like folic acid. You got to eat all kinds of broccoli. I don't know. These are important things, right? Look for the fetus. Now, why is that? That's because of the development that has to do with the genes. But genes turn on one thing and turn off other things, etc. Genes don't just sort of set some limit. And we have this notion, and this has been put forward not just by psychologists, by the way. I've heard, I've heard geneticists say this, too. So this is not just the psychologists saying it. That the genes sort of set a limit. This is as far as you can go, and then the experience fills it in. Right? You've probably heard that. That's an exceedingly simplistic way of looking at it. Exceedingly simplistic. 
they interact with the environment. We know this now, that genes are turned on by environment, which also then create proteins that turn on other genes and turn off other genes, etc. It's exceedingly complicated. So, like, learning needs a mechanism for experience to change behavior. And I'm not denying that experience changes behavior. That would be stupid. But I'm not denying the biology either. And the mechanism itself is genetically coded, but that, for that mechanism to develop, it needs an environment. You can't, you can't pull them apart. You can't. It's a waste of time, and it's a waste of energy, and a waste of, I think, people's careers complaining about this stuff. Oh, it's nature. Oh, it's nurture. No, it's not. It's both. Shut up. You know, just stop wasting your time. And when someone says, well, something's clearly just environmental, say to them, okay, let's see if we can do it with a chair. It's completely environmental, whatever. Whatever, we can pick anything. Uh, the likelihood someone will dye their hair, let's go with that. Um, seems pretty environmental. Huh? Seems like the wind of society and people. Let's see if the chair will die. It's here. Hey, chair, die here. It's cool. Other people are doing it. Hey, look, it's not biology. That only works with people. So even something silly like that. You need biology for the environment to have an effect. You need an environment to have for the biology. This is both. storm raging inside. <laughs> we can't study behavior and cognition in a vacuum. Right? Well, we could in a vacuum of space. Um, so we can't ignore biology. Exempting the behavior of organisms from the principles of biology is like exempting the behavior of atoms from the principles of physics. When you study chemistry, you don't ignore atoms. Right? You can, it's called grade 8 chemistry. Right? <laughs> but to really understand anything, you have to know that you know you have your various bonds and your valences, and you have what you're really your, uh, with your, your periodic table and your atoms, elements and such. You know, I got 103 right through chemistry, and I can't remember any of them. I got all the books. Now, you can study, I mean, people study chemistry, and they don't ignore atoms, but they don't really concentrate on that, just like people study uh, biology, they don't ignore the chemistry, right? But you know it's there. You don't say chemistry's not important, we're doing biology. We can't even ignore the evolution of sociality, so being social in us and other species. And sociality, that's social science, right? So how we behave in groups, how we behave with each other, how other animals behave in groups, how we behave with each other. You can't ignore these things. We'll talk about um, bees in this course, the new social insects, which are awesome. And bees are bizarre. And bees, ants, wasps, um, 
the Hymenoptera, the superfamily Hymenoptera. They're cool. And I don't want to get into the genetics of it right now, but just take my word for this, that if I've got a bee, and, a, and it's, it's a female bee, a female, female's a worker, okay? And I've got another female. Um, in the hive, they're all sisters. It's one big, weird, buzzing family. Okay? They're doing a lot of that. Hate bees. I love their delicious honey, but I don't like bees very much. Anyway, but I do think they're really cool. Because if you look at you and your sister, you and your brother, you're related by 0.5, right? You share half your genes with each other. Well, don't worry, we'll get into genetics talk more about this, but you know that, right? Half your genes, you get from your mom, half you get from your dad. That's when daddy and mommy really like each other. And then kiss some, and then a baby happens. And if you get half of your mother and half of your father, you're related to your mom by half your genes from your mom, half from your dad. But also, just by... If you think about it, if that's the case, then you have to share half your genes with your mom and half your genes with dad. Also, half with your... You have to, on average, half with your brother and half with your sister. Right? Now, in bees and wasps and, and ants, it's different. Female to female, so to your sister... It's 0.75 on your brother. It's 0.25. Dude. They have this really weird way of mating. Um, males are actually unfertilized eggs. You know what's really weird? Male to a female is 0.5. But the female to the male is 0.25. If female had sons... Right? Female has sons, so, so she has a male. Which they can. We always think that the female bees, except for the queen, are all sterile, but they're not. They just don't lay eggs. They could and have boys, little boys. Unfertilized eggs become little boys. Little boy bees. Not little boy humans. <laughs> but look at this. If you had a son, you can be related to my point two five. If you have a would it make sense to have a son? Your genetic relationship is 0.25. No, why would you do that? Why not be nice to your sisters when it's 0.75? So females show reproductive restraint. They actually don't lay eggs. They can. They just don't. They're not sterile. Females, why do you think the females, why do you think everybody works together? Everybody works together because they're related to each other so heavily. Beehives, ants' nests, wasp nests, or it's called eusocial, EU, social, okay, it's one word. And they, they're related, and, and part of it's because of this weird genetic makeup. So their genes have said, you know what actually makes a lot of sense because of where our reproductive genetics work? Let's all live in a big, weird family. Oh, and let's not have young, because it would be stupid. I'm more related to my sister than I would be to my own son. And when there are males around, and males do show up, uh, I think it's the third generation in the life of a honeybee hive. Right around now, in fact, they're making males. And, well, it's not them, it's the queen laying unfertilized eggs. So she makes males. You know what males are for? 
They're sperm carriers, nothing more. And they do a little yard work, fix cars. No, that's humans. They just carry sperm. That's all they do. They're, they're just there for that. And you know what? When you take a look at the females and how they treat each other compared to how they treat the young, if they're uh, these males, males, oh, males can't sting, by the way, and um, males are stupid. A friend of mine did research on um, male, memory male bumblebees. He said they're just dumb. Females are great. And you know what's really cool? When they're giving out food. They give out food to their sisters at a ratio of um, three to one. <laughs> yeah, that's cool, right? And they're very social, right? They have different jobs that they do in the, um, in the hive. All this kind of stuff. That's pretty cool. Why does it make sense to give up your life for the... Because bees, when they sing you, they die, right? The singer is effective because it has a little um, hook in it, right? It keeps it in your skin. But they die. Because it pulls most of their innards out. Have you ever seen a bee after it's sung you? You can take one sense of satisfaction from them. It's like, well... You gave one for your team, but now you are dead, and I know where you live, and I'm going to give you the entire and get some of that rage stuff. Let's see who's smarter now, B. So you broke both the weapons of mass destruction at that point. They give it because they're so related to the members of the hive. They're all sisters. You're giving up your life for a zillion sisters. That makes sense. Or as they call them, actually, technically super sisters because they're 175. Questions about that? I don't understand how females can have 3.25 females to male and 7.5. <laughs> Wait till we get there. It would take too long to explain it right now. But take my word for it <laughs> that it works out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's because females, there's only one mother. Okay? So they're going to share all the genes they got from their mother. Right? With each other. Because it's all from one queen. Now, you and your mom is 0.5. Um, but, and then if you have a brother or sister, so they can get 0.5 from mom, 0.5 from dad, and it's going to be on average half from each other. But everybody gets from the same um, mom and a different dad, so it ends up being, uh, and because of the way bee genetics work, it's very strange the way their genetics work. Uh, males are actually all haploid, they're not diploid cells. It's really, really weird. We'll, we'll go through it, but it takes a lot more. It takes a lot of drawing. I have that drawing. You will see. Ants like this, by the way, as well. Wasps. Uh, oddly enough, uh, termites are eusocial and are not like this. So again, this should tell you something. It's not just the fact, though, that it's always about the genetics. There's also shrimp we found that are eusocial. That's cool. That's cool. Some shrimp. And they're all ready to they make properly with 0.5 and 0.5, the way it works with most normal species. This is why I don't trust these social insects. There's something creepy about them. And you know, when they get big enough, you know what happens when they get big enough? They end up, they pass it through blood, and then they uh, take over, and they, they take Ripley, and they take her blood, <laughs> uh, and then Paul Reiser shows up, and he tries to have one of the plants. It's really, it's like aliens. And if I was going with there, some of you got that in blood. We're screwed, man. 
I love that movie. Why don't we study animal behavior in specific? Is that psychology and how we're kind of doing it wrong? Um, oh, or historically we've done it wrong. Let's say that. Why don't we study animal behavior? Well, it can tell us a lot about ourselves. And I think a lot of that was explained in the last few slides. Um, that if you look at other animals and look at their the evolution state of their plant, our social isn't about this, right? Why are we social? This is a good question. Why don't we look at chimps? Chimps are our closest living relative. Let's look at chimps. Why are chimps? Let's look at their social behavior. Some interesting social behavior in chimps, by the way. For example, um, unlike humans, chimps are very polygamous. In other words, it's one male, many females. Usually, no other males get a chance to mate, or very few do. So you know what happens? What happens is, if there's um, the lower-ranking males, what they'll do is they'll sort of get together, and one of them goes and smacks the high-ranking male, and then the other guy goes and mates with some females. And you would think, well, wouldn't you just take advantage of that and always be the guy that goes off and mates with the females? Well, because the fact that chimps can remember individuals, they take turns. Okay, I'm up. I'll go distract him. Hey, other chimp over here. Go poop at him or whatever they do, you know, chimps. Other chimps off over here, ladies. Because as we know, that's how chimps talk. Well, that's... When you think about it, what, what they're doing there is something that's called reciprocal altruism. Again, we'll get there. And what this is, is, it, is it, it's... We can look at that in, in animals and see that one animal... You don't relate it. These aren't like all brothers and cousins. They might be cousins, but that's about as close as they might be. They're basically, even the closest thing to unrelated, yet they end up going off and doing these kind of things because they can remember, oh, that was good for me last time. Next time, I'll do you a favor. And if the next time you don't do me a favor, I'm not going to do you a favor again. Well, we can look at that kind of behavior in animals, in other animals besides us, and we can say, well, where did that come from in us? And that's probably a pretty good idea that we do it. We're social. Well, it's because in our evolutionary past, we were, we were pretty related. We'd be in these family groups, sort of tribes, we want to call them clans, whatever you want to call them, of about 30 people to 50 people, and they would pretty much all be cousins. But still, you know, once you get past, oh, first, second cousin, you're not that related anymore. So you just, you just make a deal. You can apply this, you can apply um, animal behavior knowledge to, I don't know, do conservation or study invasive species, right? And try to uh, deal with them. I don't know, go ask Dr. Antuna. She knows about that. I'm not a invasive species guy. Just go, go ask him. How do you deal with it? And he'll tell you. He's got an institute. I've got an office. Wait, it's also just really cool. There's a reason to study things, and it's because they're interesting. And hopefully, I mean, there's nothing wrong with applications. I like applications. Without applications of science, I wouldn't have all of my technology. Why, there would be no tomorrow's release of NHL 12 without people applying computer science to build me games. They called me yesterday. Well, uh, oh, the uh, HL12 would have a big, big release party. 
It's like, yeah, I have a job. The guy at the store told me that too. And he said, well, that's my job. I have a job too. I said, yeah, your job is to sell me video games. So I get, I'm not going to get paid for being shot. And I have to actually teach the next day. So if you're my brand new behavior class, don't follow me afterwards and ask me questions. Because I'm going to eat games with you. I've got the receipt that I pre-ordered and he jumped in my pocket. I'm an idiot. I've got like NHL 95, 97, and Super Nintendo. I've got NHL 2000, 2001, 03, 04, 05, 06, 07, 08, 09, 10, 11, and I'll have to go tomorrow. Because I am an idiot. Science is cool. Knowing stuff is cool. And that's, that's the reason I've always studied this stuff, just because it's interesting. Okay. Now, let's look at something, an important concept here. Look at this butterfly. This butterfly is brightly colored and ornamented. It's also poisonous. <coughs> why? Tell me why. Does anybody got any ideas? People? Well, you know. Yeah, predators, yeah. yeah. I don't eat a lot of people. Well, maybe they're tasty. So what, what, what stops them from eating it? The poison? The color. So it's like a signal? It's a signal. Okay, that's good. And it's a signal for being poisonous, being brightly colored. Okay. And there are a lot of species in nature that are brightly colored and poisonous. Right? Or brightly colored and dangerous. They're giving you honest signals, actually. We talk, about, we talk sometimes about uh, honest signals and dishonest signals in animal behavior. And that's an honest signal. I'm poisoned. Why give a dishonest signal, right? Why, why lie? Why not just tell the truth and say, don't eat me, I will kill you. I have a picture somewhere, I can't find it, I don't know where the hell it is, of a, mon- of a blue jay puking after eating a monarch butterfly. And I wish I could find it because it's a great picture and I've been looking for it for years because I know I used to have it on an overhead somewhere. So yeah, it's a signal. What else? So why is it brightly colored one that it and wasn't? Just think about it. The signal is actually the outcome, right? What else could it be? And that's not, that's not wrong, by the way. I mean, it's true. What you're saying is totally true. But there are other reasons. Make sure not. Yes. Please go ahead. Defense. Okay, so uh, defense to poison is a, is a defense. Good. So you get a signal. You've got defense. Uh, what do you guys had? Something, I think? Who else had something? Same thing? Okay, so defense. Anybody else? Secondary sex characteristic. It could be a secondary sex characteristic. Uh, actually, all males and females of these uh, bark butterflies look the same. Good guess. Good guess. How would it be poisonous? How, how, how would it be? Like, how is it that it's poisonous? It does. Yeah, it eats something. It eats milkweed. Monarch butterflies eat milkweed. <clears throat> if you ate milkweed, literally, you would you get very sick yourself. You can't eat milkweed. Almost any other animal on this planet can eat milkweed, uh, which is a defense. Why <laughs> milkweed stop being eaten? 
So they actually um, they eat they eat poison. They literally eat poison. How the hell did that happen? Wow. That's no. Well, you know what? They, they over a long period of time, over a long period of time, they must have sort of genetic over over evolutionary time. They detoxify the plant. In other words, they can ingest it. Nothing else can. Just like eucalyptus, right? Your koala bears eat eucalyptus. You can't eat eucalyptus. Well, you can. You will get violently ill. Right? So they detoxify the plant over time. And that's over a long period of time. They're also probably able to do this because there must be a set of genes that are turned on and off that allow this to happen. So there are genetic reasons. And the genes unfold uh, and we call that development. Okay. Do all butterflies look like this? All bright. No, in fact, there are closely related species to the monarch butterfly that are, that are brown colored. So also over the evolutionary time, the coloration has evolved. Okay? So we talk about Nico Tinberg and, and he had these four whys. So it's four ways to answer the question, why is this behavior like this? Or why is this characteristic like this? Not just one. And that's why almost everything you said was true. And while Jilly was wrong, it was a secondary sex characteristic, that fits in with all the whys anyway. We can talk about what are called causal or proximate mechanisms. This is genetics and development. We can also throw learning into them. They're within the animal's lifetime. And when I say they're causal, I mean that the cause comes before the effect. Because when you talk about a defense mechanism, the effect comes after the cause. Oh, sorry, the, the, the cause, that's good. <laughs> the cause comes after the effect. Right? Because if you say it's, it's because it's a signal, that means that, hey, I'm poisonous, and you go away, but I only was poisonous. So something's, it's, 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 it's not so much one before the other. Whereas eating poison Right? Being eating milkweed, uh, that's in the animal's lifetime. So we call that a proximate mechanism. I like that better than causal, um, uh, personally. And there's also functional or ultimate mechanisms. Now, there I like functional rather than ultimate, because ultimate sounds like it's better than proximate, and it's not any better. It just means over evolutionary time. So, what does it accomplish? So, that's the function, and how did the behavior? Uh, or whatever characteristic evolve. So to truly understand behavior of any sort, be it an animal, animal behavior, be it human behavior, whatever, we have to, I think, look at all of these explanations. Typically in psychology, we've been stuck looking at these two, especially this, and things that are the result of genetics, so learning. Um, in biology, typically, in like zoology, like animal behavior kind of stuff, so for studying animals, psychologists look at things like development behavior and look at learning. Traditionally, that's traditionally, and traditionally um, biologists were looking at the function of something and the evolution of it. And for the longest time, there were many of us studying the behavior of, of different animals, and we would be studying the same species and the same problem, and we'd be coming up with different answers, and in fact, it turns out that they're, they were all right.
Why does Clark not, Clark's nutcracker save 30,000 seeds? Well, they actually breed earlier than other birds. The food storing allows them not to migrate. That might be what a biologist says. A psychologist might say, yeah, now let's look at this. How does that behavior develop? Well, and what's, what causes it? Well, the hippocampus is bigger than you'd expect. They're really good at memory. But those are both right. And it took a few people studying uh, animal uh, psychology, basically, uh, usually psychologists, and a few biologists as well. Back in the, geez, really early to mid-80s, to start to put this together. Do you understand these four wise things that make sense? And they're lined up into two things. Just remember that causal is in the animal's lifetime, or approximate, same thing, and ultimately or functional is over evolutionary time. If you can remember those two things, you'll be fine. To truly understand behavior and characteristic, we have to uh, have all the explanations. And mixing up cause and function is something people do all the time. I had a, um, the study of animal behavior in biology is called ethology. And one of my profs at, at, uh, in grad school was an old-time ethologist, Jerry Hogan. He's the guy you might have heard me before talk about dust bathing in Burmese red jungle. And if you haven't, don't Jerry, uh, world expert in this stuff, uh, great ethologist, classically trained, always looking at cause, not function, really interesting stuff. And if you said to him, why do birds fly south? If he asked you why do birds fly south in the winter, and you said to get to a warmer place, he'd say, ha-ha, you've mixed up cause and function. That's not why they fly south for the winter. That is what it accomplishes. Right? It's one of Tim Bergen's four whys, but it's not really why it happens in the animal's life. So that, and this is, I think, where people get confused when talk about evolutionary psychology. It's like, why do people that are similar mate together? Right? I mean, people, opposites attract is, is bullshit. Uh, in fact, people are more similar, but not completely similar, because then it's creepy. And it would seriously find it creepy. Right? But people that are somewhat similar have similar tastes, similar all kinds of things, even similar uh, blood types. You're more likely to have the same blood type as your friend than, than random chance, even just a friend. Weird. Um, women, if they're asked to smell uh, t shirts that men have wore, and not with deodorant on. Okay, so they get a man a t-shirt, get him to work out for half an hour, they take the t-shirt, put it in his block bag. And then you have women smell these t-shirts. They will find uh, the t-shirts being worn by guys they would already call attractive as smelling better. <laughs> That's cool. Now, why? Well, you might say, oh, because the attractive men don't have a lot of parasite load. Right? You're less likely to be sick if you're nice looking. It's true, right? More healthy. Yeah, but that's actually not what's causing it. That's the function. What causes it? Well, women can detect the smell, and the smell comes from MHC genes, and they can then detect how related they are to a man and how attractive he might be, and how good his immune system is based on the smell of his MHC genes, of the excretions from the MHC. So one is cause, one is function. Why do men find women with a waist-to-hip ratio of 0.7 attractive? Cross-culturally, by the way. 
Ratio of waist to hip measurement, 0.7. Not actually, by the way, not uh, thinness, it's waist to hip ratio. And that doesn't matter what culture. You can test it all over. So the idea of uh, whatever is attractive as far as thinness and not thinness, not so much that, it's about waist to hip ratio. Yeah, Childbearing. Childbearing is a good, that's it. Pretty much right, but you know why that signals childbearing to be people to be very successful at being moms? Because it shows that that they have the right level of estrogen. Because you know what estrogen does? It puts, and most of the women in here know this, and I guess sort of in Britain. But when they get to about 12 or 13, estrogen starts to put fat on their hips. And the ideal amount of estrogen for having a baby puts about a 0.7 waist to hip ratio. Isn't that cool? Now, do you think men are walking around like, let's see. It's like, it's like we're, we're, well, George, we shouldn't let them know this, but in fact, we're like terminators. <laughs> 0 0.7, 0 0.63, not good enough. 0 0.78, too much estrogen. Could be a problem. You know, no, of course not. We, we're not aware of this at all. I'm not aware of this at all. But it's actually one of these honest signals. Why do, why do women that are, this is weird, this is true, why do women that are lap dancers get better tips when they are ovulating? I don't know. I've been to a strip club once. It was the previous experience of my life. It was my uncle's stag, and I left going, oh, I'm going to have a shower. <laughs> I got there. I didn't know we were coming here. This is weird. I don't want to be here. <laughs> Plus, you're my uncle. That's weird already. He's like seven years older than me. Anyway, in my experience, the women walking around in a little outfits went, so, you know, I'm ovulating, so a uh, little tip of the ice. No. But men are detecting, somehow we don't know that they are fertile. It could be the way we were behaving, that's possible. It could be the way they smell or something, I don't know. It's probably a combination of all these things. By the way, men at strip clubs aren't trying to impregnate women. But remember what the function of sex is it's to have babies. It's also a good time. But the function of it is to have kids, right? So even though we've completely disconnected sex and reproduction, I don't think you ever even see, have you ever, any of you, walking down the street and you see somebody attractive, you don't go, you know, probably make a good dad. People don't say that. Oh, hot guy, oh, hot girl. Not like, oh, I bet they would really care for my children well. Doesn't happen, right? Yet, so in both those kind of situations, it sort of works out. So one of those is cause. What's the cause of those things? We don't really know. It's fascinating and we don't know. How are men detecting a 0.7 waist hip ratio? I don't know. How are women able to smell armpits and detect that men are good looking? I don't know. It makes me think, by the way, that this whole you know, Axe body spray movement 
is really, because um, I consider it a movement. Like, I think it is. I think it's a movement. I think it's like, it's a, it's like, it's like a rebel group. It's got to stop. We must crush it. Did you walk down the halls of a high school? Oh, you can't breathe. You need a gas mask. Because there's 14-year-olds going, well, yeah, the ladies like this. <laughs> and by the way, all the men do when they get older, they just buy extensive coin. They really, we have no idea if we're idiots. I'm sorry for letting out all our secrets, Jordan, but we're idiots, aren't we? Pretty much. When I say we, I mean the man. I don't mean Jordan. Jordan's quite right. So we can learn a lot about ourselves from animal behavior. You know what? Take all those things. We see this all the time in other animals. We don't go through, humans don't go through heat, which is also good. <laughs> because it would be creepy. <laughs> It would make it easier for guys. You'd go, oh, now I understand when women are attracted to, to men. You know, because we're, we're slow. We don't go through heat. Other animals, almost all other animals do. Right? When do they mate? Except for bonobos. Pygmy, you know about bonobos? Pygmy chimpanzees, they used to call them. They have sex all the time. That's all they do. That's how they greet each other. <laughs> I'm serious. Other chimps will groom each other and stuff like that. Humans, we shake hands, might hug. They just do it. They do. And it's male, 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 female, 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 group. They're really, it's kind of like the Playboy Mansion of the Congo. <laughs> it's the Playboy And we have a title for today's show. Um, we can learn a lot about our behavior from other animals. And it gives us really interesting insight. But don't mix them up. And also, don't become sort of a rabbit adaptationist either, right? This, the knowledge you're going to get in this class is kind of cool because you're going to go, oh, that evolved like this, that evolved like this. Don't look at every single behavior you see and say, well, I wonder what that evolved. Like, yeah, it's a good question. But everything that everybody does isn't simply to attract mates. It isn't simply to, you know, whatever. So keep that in mind as well. By the way, you know that... Uh, Butterfly? That wasn't a monarch butterfly. That was a vice butterfly. It was cheating. They're delicious. They aren't poisonous at all. They've evolved to look just like monarch butterflies. And in fact, if you give a blue jay a forced choice between a monarch and a viceroy, he will eat the monarch. Because viceroy butterflies look more like monarch butterflies than monarch butterflies do. And they're delicious. They're completely they don't eat milkweed. They're, they're, they're bursting with butterfly flavor. There are snakes. You know, if you ever see a snake that has red and black and white coloration, it's, it can kill you. That's something the snakes have kind of, they got together over evolutionary time and said, you know what we can do? If we're poisonous, we'll just give out this signal. No, he didn't actually do that. But that's how evolutions work. Become a signal, so, oh, you learn from that family of snakes, you'll also learn from this family, anyway, or species. But there are snakes, there are snakes that, that are around now that aren't really, um, they're not poisonous, they're just piggybacking along for the free ride. There are flies that look like bees, and they're completely harmless. They're harmless but they have black and yellow stripes. Pretty cool. Questions? Please. About the example of 
The cause we don't really know. Uh, we can guess. We can guess that it's um, a genetic preference for the, the, the smell of your, of your of your sweat and your pee. Uh, except if you just had asparagus. <laughs> the smell of your sweat and your pee. A lot of it comes from um, MHC, uh, which is a, a cluster of genes. And in fact, we can. So it's probably the case, and what the MHC also does is it, um, it, it builds, it helps build your immune system. And people with good immune systems tend to be good looking. It just works out that way. Which makes some sense, because if you've developed properly, you'd be better looking if you've developed properly, you're also going to be better looking if you're not sick. Right? Okay. So that makes some sense. So what we're doing then there, perhaps, is we're smelling, or they are smelling women, because I don't think men can do it. They're smelling a good genome, um, but we don't really know what the cause is. The function is to be able to detect uh, a suitable mate. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but the cause, we don't really know. It's just like, I don't know how the hell we are able to detect, we are able to have friends that have the same blood type we have. Um, we do. You're much more likely to have the same blood type as your friend than you are, than you are a random person. But that's probably because it goes together with a whole bunch of other traits, and you tend to be friends with people that are similar to you. So they're going to have similar behavioral and thinking characteristics, and also similar physical characteristics. You very rarely see, yeah, you see groups of friends, and they seem similar, and it's not just because they dress similar, everything, they behave similar ways, etc. So it makes some sense that we have other similarities, all kinds of weird other ways, too. Uh, the size of their earlobes compared to the size of their whole ear is more. Uh, Similar than you would expect for any chance. There's all kinds of weird measurements you can take. And I have never, ever once, when I see a friend say, you know, when I want to meet somebody first, you know, I'm going to need a blood test and an earlobe size measurement. But it happens. Is it in Predator where that chick was trying to meet with a, a guy and she gets this guy's house and. And she what? Some pieces entered and he died, he's diabetic and they're investigating. What movie was that? I don't know. No, you know. No, Predator was the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's fighting the invisible uh, species. Invisible species. The invisible. Oh, maybe the species I haven't seen. No, could it, so it could be that. No, because Predator is the one where Arnold is fighting the invisible uh, uh, hunter from another planet. Arnold and 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 um, Jesse Ventura are two future governors of American states, and we wonder why they're screwed up there. Anything else? That's a good question. Find out though, please. I think, I think you're right. I think it's species. I, I'm sure it is. I think you're right. I think I have it on Netflix. It was the 90s last time. Maybe we could watch it now. I have it on Netflix. <laughs> well, all right, guys. See you next time. And we'll talk about genetics natural selection off the book. Thanks.
podcast is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want, okay? Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.